Hello and welcome to Consumer Choice Radio Broadcasting across North America. And we're right there in your pocket via the podcast available uh, for download in whatever store it is. I'm one half of your host, Yael Ososki. Bit sad because my uh, co-host here, David Clement, was just right beside me a few days ago here in, in the Mental European studio, but he's made his way back to Canada. So, David, how goes it? Oh, it's good. It's good. Another uh, another trip to the old world, but um, always good to be back. And uh, now it's just time to get dialed in for um, for the, the holiday season. So let's get your take as a travel critic, as, mm-hmm. a, as Anthony Bourdain Part 2. Um, as the reincarnated uh, Anthony Bourdain. <laughs> okay. Um, that's probably not good to say that, but... I was so going to say that's quite a compliment. Uh, it, it, oh, no. It, the reincarnation uh, version two is, is it's just like a, it's like the Matrix uh, number four. It's just uh, not the best uh, follow-up. <laughs> so, what, yeah, what was your, your take on Vienna? First time you made it out here to the uh, Imperial City. Beautiful. Beautiful. Um, enjoyed some schnitzel. Um Although traditionally I am not a breaded meat fan, um, but we were able to have some very delicious um, schnitzel, uh, which is great. Yeah, it's a it's a cool spot, um, very cool city. Um, yeah, no complaints, no complaints. I can see why uh, I can see why some people live there. You can see why uh, put down roots. Yeah, uh, a good ten years ago. Yeah, it's. It's fun, and uh, you know, before we begin, David, I know we got a couple of topics, but uh, we got some breaking news here. Yeah. You ready for this? We have some journalists who were given the boot off of Twitter. Before before we even give that, we go go back to the OGs of uh, of journalists getting the boot. I don't know if you're ready for this though. Oh, okay. All right, let's have it. Hello, everyone. This is Donald Trump. Hopefully, your favorite president of all time, better than Lincoln, better than Washington. <laughs> with an important announcement to make. I'm doing my first official Donald J. Trump NFT collection right here oh. and right now. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, what, a, like what, is, what is going on? You have, you have the Donald doing NFTs. Like, what, are you broke, bud? Like, what? It's a good bottom signal. It means we're, the bottom is in, folks. Yeah. <laughs> Oh. Um, CollectTrumpCards.com. So NFTs, they're $99 US dollars a piece. Uh, he says you can buy them with uh, your cryptos. Um, kind of interesting. And uh, David, I love this one. Uh, this is one of the NFTs you can buy. We have or golf with you and a group of your friends at one of my beautiful golf courses. Notice he fell short of actually offering, you know, the chance to play with them. No, he just no. will give you a voucher to go to one of his courses. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. I saw someone on Twitter already called them Brokemon cards. <laughs> oh, all right. I broke them on. That was pretty That's good. The title of the program. Pretty right good. There. Love that. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, the, the bottom is in Trump NFTs. Yeah. Um, I think we can throw the, the whole presidential thing out the window now. Oh, I mean, come on. <laughs> like, this is such a fraud. Uh, I mean, if this is the beginning of a fundraising thing for the campaign, I'm sure there's some, you know, legal questions. Uh, but <laughs> if people have any of their spare Tron or ETH, uh, go ahead and drop it in there because uh, <laughs> apparently the Donald needs it. Oh, yeah, the Donald, Donald needs to have your uh, your cryptos there. Okay, interesting. So we have uh, we have that that hit the wire. Yeah, that was um, yesterday. 
uh, what was that? In the afternoons. So that yeah. was a lot of fun. And then, uh, David, you mentioned the uh, Twitter suspensions of various journos. Yeah. Um, so we're going to do again what we always promise not to do and focus on Twitter news. <laughs> well, it's and, crazy. Uh, we a, like, there's been a whole bunch of them who uh, who got the boot. And uh, so I think I, to give some context, I believe it all relates to this Elon Jet fellow. Yes. Yes. And, and so this is a Twitter account that location. was uh, tracking Elon's private plane yeah. uh, using publicly available uh, FAA data, yeah. uh, but providing that in a kind of algorithm automatic posting thing to show, oh, look, Elon just took off from Austin Airport and he's landing in San Francisco. And um, the concern from Elon is that uh, this puts him at personal jeopardy, even though he has made a pledge in the past to say, hey, look, I even let the jet guy stay on. Uh, but that's kind of gone. And uh, a lot of journos were republishing that information. And uh, I believe I went back and looked at uh, your buddy, uh, Keith Olbermann. <laughs> My buddy. That's, <laughs> I don't know about he, that he was, uh, he was He was starting a kind of a troll army of saying, all right, everybody, everybody take the screenshot or the video and let's all tweet it together. And uh, essentially ended up in a chain of, I don't know what it was, like 10 to 15 accounts getting getting that seven-day suspension. Yeah. I mean, again, this goes back to like the whole content moderation hoopla. It's like once you're in the game, it gets complicated. And I mean, what counts as doxing versus not doxing? Um, you have a lot of uh, you have a lot of basically everyone is a hypocrite again. You have a lot of lefties who, when they banned Trump or other Republicans or right wingers. Um, would be like, well, Twitter's a private company. It can do whatever it wants, which is, of course, true. Um, and, and now, obviously, the, the shoe is on the other foot, and <laughs> they're stuck trying to backtrack on their previous stances. I think um, we've mentioned it many times, David, and if that's the only thing that ever comes out of the Consumer Choice Radio, that the pendulum always swings back, um, that your idea that you trust whatever power that you want to give to your worst enemy in politics. Um, if that's the only thing that comes out of uh, our radio gig, I, I would say we've done a good job. Yeah. Well, I talk about vindication. <laughs> We're just consistently proven right over and over um, on this stuff. Short it up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, do is it great that these uh, journalists are, are booted off of Twitter? No, I don't think so. Um it's it's not a good it, it's not a good look, um, because it just looks like they they irritated the guy who owns the platform and he banned them. Whether or not that's the full like accurate description of what's happened, that's the way it appears. Um, so that's obviously not great. But at the same time, like all of these people cheered on other people getting suspended for relatively benign things that violated the terms of service and here we are <laughs> it's a strange world out there yeah i think you've had um you know many of these people that would uh, come up with the the line uh, twitter is a private company you can do whatever it wants when it is um censoring or suspending those that you may disagree with um so it's interesting i think the the theory that i had read before is um because elon had tweeted about the streisand effect um, so it might be um, if your theory is that Elon is playing the 4D chess 
then this is just showing all of those different people the problem that comes with uh, content moderation um, that is shooting from the hip. Yes, yeah, it has to be clear, concise, simple rules and nothing beyond that. And as soon as you get beyond that, you're just filled with hypocrisy, which was the, the criticism of old Twitter, um, where you would have like real nefarious people spreading misinformation, like Chinese diplomats spreading misinformation about the Uyghurs on Twitter. Um, but then some silly right-wing accounts would get banned. Um and, and I think uh, David Sachs, who's uh, one of the PayPal mafia, who is, I believe, unofficially advising Elon at Twitter, um, he says that Elon's content moderation decisions so far, no swastikas, no continuous real-time doxing. And then he says, what's the problem? I would answer to that, that's never where the list ends. <laughs> but no, <okay>. no. <laughs> what about copyright? What about pornography? What about, I mean, there's, yeah. Incomplete list. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I, I don't. I don't think I would call Elon's content moderation um, complete <laughs> as of yet. It's still, a, it's still very much a work in progress. And David's, um, yeah, great topic. Uh, we'll, we'll have more to that. If there's another, if I could make a Canadian pivot, uh, that that is uh, important. We've got um, someone on the line who's kind of in the hot seat here. Uh, so. God, I don't, I don't think I, just, I don't think you should be singing the blues right now at all. Oh yes, I'm singing the blues. Why? Because your 15 million didn't pay out. That that's a lot of money. Hey, listen, a paid spokesperson. It's a lot of money. You didn't it, have to do much for that. That's that's found that's money. A different Kevin. decision. That's a different discussion. Okay. I, I, you know, you can make that decision. So we're talking about Kevin O'Leary. Yeah, yeah, he got burned, eh? <sighs> Getting burned, and um, he actually testified before Congress. Um, I guess they did not receive my uh, my email where I said I'd, I'd definitely go. But uh, he's sitting there in, in front of the Senate. Of all of their assets and all of the accounting and trade information. So he makes the case that essentially the only reason FTX went bust is because Binance was out to get them. Um, and all of the nefarious stuff would have been okay. Very strange. And again, this yeah. was an individual who was running to be the leader of the Canadian Conservative Party and finds himself on the, the answering side of a microphone yeah. exchange in the Senate. Fun, oh, fun times. Yeah, it's such a, that's such a weird defense of, um, of FTX, given everything that we know at the moment. It's like, well, no, it was, they got sabotaged. And it's like, um, you mean self-sabotaged? <laughs> like, yeah, did, did he make them take the customer money and yeah. just like start to put it in unicorn poop coin or something? Yeah. And then I don't think so. And then just start funneling money out of the company to properties and everything else. No, <laughs> but somebody made we that call. Be in jail. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Basically. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it's, it just keeps getting. You got Trump NFTs. You got Kevin O'Leary in front of Congress over FTX. You got SBF finally arrested. It's just mayhem. <laughs> Mayhem I mean, I think space. I need to take I need to take a good twenty minutes on the AI, AI art generator to find the Brokemon cards. Yeah. <laughs> <Equal>. <laughs> oh wow, my goodness! Good point. I love that. So well, uh, David, we're we're in the holiday season. Yeah, uh, we've got um, a couple minutes here left uh, on our segment. We're going to have some interviews later in the program. Yep, go over some important consumer choice topics. Yep. 
Um, but, uh, you know, what are you most looking forward to for the holidays? Um, well, it is, uh, it will be our daughter's first Christmas. So, um, that is of course always exciting. Um, although she's too small to remember it. Um, so my first Christmas as a, as a dad, which is exciting. You've uh, been there. Um, I would say that's what I'm most excited for. Uh, what about you? Do you know what I rely on as a dad? Ooh. Faster Prime. Prime now. <laughs> it was either going to be that or like Bailey's in your coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I unfortunately, I don't have a clip for that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think the you know, definitely got to take a lot of pictures, but that definitely Christmas is more fun with the kids. Yes. It's very strange when you're an adult, um, when you happen to be uh, this, you know, dink, dual income, no kids. Your Christmas is very different. You just kind of try to outgift each other. Well, there you go, speaking of kids. <laughs> yes. uh, you try to outgift each other, you know, spending a lot of money. And then uh, when, it, when you have ki- there you go. See, it's right yeah. there. <laughs> Perfect timing. Perfect timing. <laughs> and then when you have kids, it's all about, you know, making them happy, enjoying the magic of it, reading the stories, the stockings, whatever other traditions you might have. Oh, so, yeah. uh, it's, it's, a, it's a good time. It's very fun. And through the lens of a parent, um, it becomes cool because it's very clandestine and you have to do a lot of late night planning and wrapping. And, uh, yeah. Love it. Love it. Well, um, it's uh i mean it it'll be new for for us um but yeah you can kind of it's just got a different level of excitement to it because you have uh you have a whole nother person um who gets to start to have all of the fun of christmas and it kind of brings you back to when you were a kid and uh not that our four-month-old baby is going to remember opening presents on christmas morning but um for us it certainly is a pretty magical time oh yeah indeed and i i mean look it's the memories and um very much look forward to a conversation we'll have uh, next couple of weeks david about the entire idea of, of cataloging your child's life and what you think about privacy and public uh, nature of pictures and parents putting stuff up and uh, that'd be interesting uh be a lot of interesting questions because we we've never had the ability to photograph children as much as we have now and keep no. those memories yeah it's all there forever um that's a good question yeah and, and i know that a lot of different parents disagree on that so that'll have to be another that'll be a subject for another day indeed indeed we're gonna go to a couple of interviews and we get some more stuff here before we round out the year uh thank you guys for listening consumer choice radio we'll be right back And we're back on Consumer Choice uh, Radio, coming to you on Saga 960 and the Big Talker Network. Uh, I'm very excited for our next guest. Uh, He is now a a first-time guest uh, on Consumer Choice Radio, uh, Professor Jean-Sebastien Fallou. Thank you very much for joining us on Consumer Choice Radio. Thanks for having me. So my colleague Yael and I have talked about the CCSA's report um, in brief summary for listeners who maybe aren't caught up. Essentially, the, the Center for Substance Use and Addiction released a new report on alcohol, and one of the big conclusions was if you drink more than two alcoholic beverages per week, you could be in trouble. Um, you're the expert, you're the professional in terms of this realm of, of analysis and academia. What is your take on the CCSA's report and its findings? 
Well, there's a lot of uh, different angles uh, to 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 discuss. Um, I would say first that um, uh, this uh, this uh, enterprise is uh, something that's uh, I I would say important to do. Review the literature, see what's uh, if there's new. Uh, uh, knowledge uh, and and so on, um, and in that sense, I mean the expert committee of the uh, CCSA applied some you know renowned methods, but um, there's a lot of buts. Uh, mm -hmm. They, when you do research, there's a lot of methodolo methodological choices, um, and they they made a lot of. Uh, methodological choices that are considered statistically speak, speaking as uh, very liberal in, 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 okay. in that sense that this exaggerates uh, the link uh, between alcohol and, uh, uh, well, uh, seeing your life uh, shorten. You know, that's, yeah. that's what uh, that's what they do. Uh, and 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 first, I, I want to remind us that this is these are associations. You know, it, it's it's it. I don't want to undermine all the literature, scientific studies, but it's, of course, we you need to be cautious. Uh, we're not sure uh, of any, you know, uh, consequences are really consequences for from alcohol drinking. Uh, and 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 just as an example, uh, the link between alcohol and violence, uh, we know that link exists, mm -hmm. and, and probably some is caused by alcohol. But we also know some people use alcohol in order to have the courage, you know, to uh, fight or uh, anything. So it's just Correct. it's it's basically the 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 data is a little bit exaggerated. Uh, another take is uh, it's it only taps um, uh, negative consequences of alcohol. Uh, mm -hmm. We know alcohol is related to pleasure, socialize, uh, so socialization. Uh, mm -hmm. There are even some benefits even on mental health, but this is not at all taken into a, a account. So, so that's yep. a, a problem. It, it almost feels like a lack of a true cost benefit analysis. They just did a full cost analysis of yeah, the exactly. cost, yeah. the, the potential health cost, and just kind of turned away from those those positive aspects. I, I mean, it felt to me it's it's not a prohibitionist report, but it almost. felt it felt close. It felt close. Yeah, um, yeah. that's which, a huge uh, concern. Yeah, and I, I guess here's a, another follow-up question for you just on, I mean, of course, it's important for us to review the consequences of how substances, legal or otherwise, impact human health. I mean, that's important for understanding. It's important for public health. It ultimately uh, guides public policy. But I have a question for you of whether or not this is maybe my just my observation in terms of it being strange or if it's a common occurrence. So we have the CCSA, they do work on, on substance use. They have a clear mission in terms of like discouraging use across all categories. They're funded by the government and yet turning around and essentially lobbying or advising the government 
um, to act on on their suggestions. And uh, Dr. Sylvain Chalbois, who, who we've had on the show, he kind of described it as if you asked PETA, the People for Ethical Treatment of Animals, to give a report on beef consumption, well, we know what their conclusion would be. It would be stop eating yeah. it or eat so significantly less of it. Do you feel that there's some sort of strange relationship there where the government's spending money to essentially end up lobbying itself? Um, yes, uh, especially in a context where the government uh, advertises for alcohol on the other hand. <laughs> yes. Uh, I mean, I mean there, that's another uh, uh, aspect of it. It's, it's, it's not just, you know, alcohol harm is not just individual. Uh, and, and there's, uh, there's social context, uh, there's a culture, there's uh, a, a, a Canadian um, profile of views that, that, that you cannot change just by new recommendations. Uh, people, alcohol has functions, people have motives to use anyway. Uh, but yeah, of course, um, I would say that contrarily to the U.S., where this kind of enterprise was uh, very broad and there was a lot of room for people to uh, give their advice, experts from across the world, this is weird that it's just the CCSA uh, doing this all alone without Health Canada being involved, uh, really. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, have no really room for for advice. I mean, the the platform uh, is is almost like Twitter uh, in terms of pl- place for uh, <laughs> comments. Uh, and 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 they they also all already ad- advertised everywhere for this. It's not really a consultation because it's mm-hmm. already. So yeah, I. I, I and I know CCSA for a long time. I know they may, maybe don't realize themselves, but they're biased uh, toward, you know, uh, as I mentioned, negative uh, aspects mm-hmm. of, of uh, substances. And 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 I think they don't. Uh, but you were you were mentioning it. I, I mean, it's it's almost leaning toward abstinence. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, alcohol and risky behaviors are part of human life, and it's going to stay like this way. And this yep. leaning towards uh, abstinence is, on 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 the one hand, uh, com- completely against harm reduction um, approach we've had in Canada since decades. Yeah, ago. and it's also very uh, stigmatizing for a large part. Uh, of the population that yep. uses more than two drinks uh, per per week. Yeah, I mean, I've been chatting with some people and just kind of bringing it up casually, and the response I always get is laughter. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and that's exactly the first thought I had when public health officials are so disconnected and have some almost abstinence message in this case. It's people just laugh and discredit the whole message and they just don't listen anymore. It's, it's, uh, yeah. Yeah. It it seems almost like it's so disconnected from reality that I would assume most consumers would just ignore it if it became the official advice of health Canada. I mean, I made a comment on Twitter that it would be, I mean, pick a different issue in society, let's say traffic fatalities. Right. That's a serious problem. You want to reduce them. A lot of people get seriously injured or die in cars. 
Um, but imagine if some government-funded agency came back with a report saying, under no circumstances should the speed limit ever be beyond 40 kilometers an hour. Everyone yeah, would yeah. just say, well, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Obviously, we we can't exactly. follow that. Um, exactly. And, 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 and we had previous... Uh, 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 recommendations for you know 10 uh, 15 mm -hmm. per week and 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 already youth uh, who to whom i'm i'm teaching mm -hmm. we're already finding this a little bit ridicule so imagine two and six yeah yeah i mean it would yeah it just be cat i mean another um another example of where the warnings kind of become so grand and so large that they're ignored um was something we've talked about in uh, California, I believe it's Prop 65, basically anything that touches a carcinogen has a cancer warning on it. And then that means like your lawnmower has a cancer warning and your cowboy boots have a cancer warning. And it kind of numbs the consumer from the real information because exactly if, if everything is dangerous and everything is, is cast at us in that, yeah. in that light, well, then we just ignore the warning altogether and just chart our own path rather exactly. than using it as kind of useful information. Um, I, in terms of, do you feel like some of the response here um, from the public health side of things has been maybe conflating the increase in consumption during the pandemic to some longer term trend as if Canadians are all of a sudden drinking problematically more on mass. No, I know, no, okay. it's, no, it's not related to that. It's really, okay. uh, it's really etiological uh, studies. Um, but you're right. I mean, public health in this kind of, uh, of thing is really patronizing people, uh, patronizing people instead of giving full information. Mm -hmm. It's not information, it's persuasion. And persuasion is, is partial uh, information and it's, it's oriented, you know, and that's really a, a problem. And everyth everything is risky. Uh, we, 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 we have maybe also norms for a number of rela sexual relationship per week yep. or uh or, or or fries or you know it's 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 it, we need more detailed information what's the absolute risk uh mm -hmm. and and because when you translate these things i mean the two drinks per week limit is all is is something called you know you would have a hundred uh, on a thousand chance of reducing your life for six days. Okay. Yeah. So, and and for six drinks, it would be a, a one chance out of a hundred. But these numbers are 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 conflated. But uh, uh, to lose like two months of your life, it, mm -hmm. it, that's that's we need more detailed information. Not for them to choose where to set the limit. You know. Yeah. Uh, to give more detailed uh, information, and I would also add we need uh, to take into account what we call the set setting and drug interaction. It's not the same for everybody. And yeah, there's no, is, you know, across age, across many things, it's very different. So that was one of my critiques of the standard drink label is that there's no standard person. I mean, you and I maybe have different experiences with alcohol. I may have just eaten a full meal, maybe you got little sleep and haven't eaten yet, the way in which one beer impacts, yeah. each, like, the it varies so standard, differently. The standard drink label could help one person 
within their own news, but it's yeah right across people. It's not it's not uh, the same at all. Yeah, and then of course we have the left hand right hand problem where one one level of the government is potentially telling you to significantly cut back while the other yeah, is bom bombarding me with with yeah. with twitter ads that bacardi is on sale at the lcbo and exactly. it's like well do you do you well, want me to stop or drink yeah. less or do you want me to drink, <laughs> to drink more, more. Yeah, <laughs> i don't know exactly. that was i that's what i was saying earlier and 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 that they also tend to put the responsibility on the individual only uh, without, you know, without helping and even uh, uh, harming in the other side, you know. On yeah. The other side. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I think, I think the concern here is what, I mean, there's, there's in today's world, there's very little inclination for taking guidelines like this and just leaving them as guidelines. Yeah. And I yeah. think that's the concern for a lot of people. It's like some sort of guidelines come up and then in many policymakers' minds, it's like, oh, well, we ought to do something about it. We ought to act on yeah. it. How do we yeah. make these the rules or how do we yeah. influence yeah, policy exactly. to get people to confine into this box? And yeah. then you get into this very paternalistic nanny state scenario yeah, where exactly. you're you're lecturing adults about decisions that don't harm anybody else um, yeah, and yeah. and then i think it's still up for debate whether or not it's harming them in any serious yeah. way depending on how much they're drinking so uh professor yeah. it's been a, a pleasure to have you on consumer choice radio uh we'll certainly have you back on the program to talk all things uh, harm reduction uh moving forward thank you very much it was very uh, pleasant All right, now let's go to an interview with Will Duffield, policy analyst at the Cato Institute. We're going to talk about jawboning, the idea of the government using rhetoric and threats rather than legislation to regulate speech. Will, thanks for coming on Consumer Choice Radio. Thank you for having me. So let's talk about this uh, policy analysis, this policy paper. And I think this is relevant for so many things that's happening with our current a political system. Um, so the policy analysis is called Jawboning Against Speech, How Government Bullying Shapes the Rules of Social Media. We'll link to that in our show notes over there at consumerchoiceradio.com. So, Will, I thought this was a great argument, and I think it provides a middle way for understanding what exactly is happening in the social media sort of content regulation slash antitrust slash everything big tech in D.C. conversation, you have a sort of uh, more democratic left wing argument about why social media companies are bad. You have a right wing Republican argument about why social media is bad. And I think your point and uh, your policy analysis kind of looks at it's actually perverse that the government is using their influence, perhaps not formal law but they're influenced to change things. So uh, could you explain just what the, the jawboning uh, sort of theory is that you've posited on social media companies? Yeah, so I argue and, and have uh, found quite a few examples of politicians in, informally threatening, cajoling, applying pressure to social media platforms to encourage them to moderate in ways they wouldn't otherwise. And in this case, in, in the speech context, 
it's very concerning because the government doesn't have the right to regulate speech. The First Amendment precludes government from making rules about what we can say. However, because our speech increasingly flows through these platforms, by getting to platforms, uh, threatening to either regulate or punish them, politicians can influence how they moderate speech and ultimately what we are allowed to say. And in this paper, I find that this is a growing trend. It's really increased since 2016, when there were a lot of concerns about Russian influence and expectations that platforms would do the right thing and respond to it by cracking down on Russian or supposedly Russian speech. But since then, the application of this informal pressure has become normalized. It didn't stay contained to questions of Russian or other foreign influence. It's really come home and become a tool that both, both parties have used, politicians on both sides of the aisle, to get things from social media platforms that they can't do via legislation. Uh, it's important to recognize that both the left and the right want very different things out of any changes to the rules governing platforms. Broadly speaking, the left would like more things taken down, and the right would like more content left up. Now, because this is such a, a loggerhead between the parties, they can't agree on any legislation that would, would affect this question of what gets left up, what gets taken down. And even legislative proposals seemingly in other areas, like antitrust or this Journalism Competition Protection Act, have fallen apart over the question of how the bill would affect content. However, instead of reaching some consensus with their, their co-partisans across the aisle, politicians can individually lean on social media platforms to, in piecemeal or in individual incidences, get what they want. And so because you've seen this, this loggerhead, and because the First Amendment precludes a lot of positive um, speech regulation, the way you've seen in, in other countries that don't have our First Amendment, then this jawboning or informal pressure has, it's become the easiest method or most accessible method of platform control that, that is available to American politicians, and they've really seized upon it. Yeah, and you have a great quote uh, here, and then we can talk about some examples. It is not the job of Congress to oversee, second-guess, or direct the decisions of private intermediaries. Such oversight presumes a role in speech regulation that the Constitution specifically denies Congress. Even when Congress members are just asking questions, they often ask questions in an effort to prompt private firms to exercise power that is denied to government. And I'll tell you what, I've been on the... Um, the end of this uh, multiple times, uh, my inbox is a flurry with videos that have been suspended from YouTube. Um, some, some of which, you know, where I just happen to be an admin, some other ones, and it's been everything related to the medical misinformation policy, or it's been about um, election denial. If you're just talking about politics, 
and and taken to the even the bluntest degree, um, one thing that we saw from particularly Facebook and more so Twitter, because Twitter had essentially banned all political advertising, is that Facebook had made it so difficult for an American nonprofit like us, Consumer Choice Center, registered in the United States to run an ad about a particular consumer issue um, without a specific tagline, with all kinds of documentations, with a scan of my passport, with a, a address in the U.S. where something is mailed. I mean, there was so much that was done internally within Facebook. And obviously, there's a lot of ire against the company for doing this. But at the same time, they're only responding to every hearing that they've ever had where they've been, uh, quote unquote, invited to testify before Congress or, or kind of put the subpoena there. And the same goes for everything related to COVID and the pandemic. I'm, I'm just sort of wondering, is there, there's, is there a way to combat this, you know, apart from talking about it? Is, is it to try to elevate the principle of the First Amendment? Because I think, you know, while we're having this kind of discussion and debate, it's taking you know different forms, uh, whether it be Elon Musk trying to buy Twitter and figure out what speech should be allowed there, or um, understanding the role that a lot of these governments have across uh, the world. We've seen in Germany, uh, you mentioned some of these these examples, and in New Zealand, where they're actively the government is reaching out to Facebook to say, "Hey, can we kind of block that kind of content?" Obviously, would not go in in America, but it seems they have other ways of doing it. Yeah, there, there are boy, a couple of things to unpack there. So first with the the quote, um, I think it it speaks to and you raise an important attitudinal problem that we see within Congress that I think really stems from the 2016 disinfo concerns. Um, you had this novel threat that congressmen didn't really know how to handle couldn't be solved easily through legislation. And at least within the elite or political classes, re regardless of side or who was elected as a result of it, I think there was some agreement that foreign influence was a problem. And so the best congressman could, could do was to sort of ask for responsibility. And, and in doing so, they ended up adopting in their own minds a kind of oversight role that in some cases vis-a-vis -vis foreign speech, if it's really an influence operation, uh, might be understandable. Uh, but again, when taken to the domestic context, when you have, say, Richard Blumenthal railing about um, uh, Steve Bannon still being allowed on the platform or Ron Johnson complaining about jokes made about him on Twitter, then a very different role has been assumed. Um, and so shifting that attitude in Congress, um, helping them or, or leading them to understand that, you know, every American speech is special. Uh, that that expression is their birthright. And even casually to speak about it as, you know, a, a problem to be rid of, won't, won't anyone get rid of this meddlesome priest, uh, that, that sort of language um, re really undermines and, and degrades our, our respect for speech and the constitutional limits on government. Um, One thing that I want, wanted to ask is this particular wording, and you do mention this, um, Senator Ed Markey 
God, what a terrible senator. Um, so this is before the 2020 election, uh, requested a pause on Facebook group recommendations um, that you know were related to um, election counting. And he asked, Mr. Zuckerberg, will you commit to stopping all group recommendations on your platform until the election, election results are certified, yes or no? So this line of questioning, this will you commit, um, we saw another example of this uh, just two weeks ago that I wrote about. And uh, this is with uh, Rashida Taleb, representative from Michigan, uh, where she asked the oil companies, or I'm sorry, the banks, to commit to not funding uh, sort of new loans or new projects for the oil and gas industry. And it's like, it, is this just a way that people can get a cheap win and then they don't understand like the impact that this will have? Is this kind of their goal because they know they can't pass a bill? What is the, the impetus upon the politician to do this? Or is it just about getting those C-SPAN uh, views? Um, I, I think politicians... Um you know, expert observers, academics, et cetera, will often see user behavior that, that they dislike or take issue with as the result of certain platform features. Uh, so in this case, you have people getting together and potentially discussing the election being stolen or being illegitimate. And Marky doesn't like that. He sees it as civically corrosive. Perhaps it is. But Merely taking away the Facebook group doesn't um, reduce the anxieties and concerns that lead people to find a group of like-minded uh, folks to talk through these issues with. And, and so the emphasis on platform features, platform architecture as the cause of certain behavior, voting patterns, et cetera, I think is, is just misguided on its face. Um, and I think in some cases, politicians feel as though it's acceptable to discuss platform architectures and features, make demands of it, because it doesn't implicate particular pieces of speech. You know, Mark isn't saying take down this group. He's saying this group feature is, is a bad idea. Um, but of course, one, these are private platforms. They have the right to architect themselves as they wish, to offer features as they wish. And partisans on either side of the aisle can look at a platform's um, you know, the, the way it's arranged and say, well, I think this, this helps the other side more. Um, but th that doesn't give them a right to demand changes to it. You know, it, it, every neutral platform or neutral set of features is still going to be used by different populations in different ways. Say, at this point, Big Blue Facebook is probably more helpful to conservatives simply because its population, the user population, seems to be older and they tend to lean more conservative. Whereas Snapchat uh, attracts young people. Um, and and uh, as far as the kinds of political ads that you would want to run there, it'd probably be more effective for Democrats. But again, that wouldn't give the right, um, you know, any any entry to say Snapchat make your videos last forever, so fewer young people will will be on there, or or for the Dems to make some demand of of big blue Facebook. Absolutely, um, I think there's there's so much to dig in this, and you know, I think. One thing that we always promote at Consumer Choice Center is that, you know, the, the web is open. We have great tools. If you don't like a certain platform, you're free to not use it. Uh, there are many things you can self-host. You can do on your own. 
and uh, you can control it as much as you want. But uh, trying to invite the government is a whole other deal. So we've been speaking with Will Duffield, policy analyst at the Cato Institute. We'll link to his a paper and some of his stuff. Uh, very interesting stuff. Um, I guess, you know, you said, Will, uh, voters have power. Midterms are coming up. So I guess they can keep that in mind. So thanks so much for coming to Consumer Choice Radio. Thank you for having me.